0: The professional's choice
1: hey what's up guys welcome back to the podcast we have a fabulous interview for you I really enjoyed this conversation we got Don Gillis from Emerson now Don is the head trainer in the US and one thing you're going to notice right off the bat as soon as Don starts to talk he's got a voice for radio or podcasting it's deep it's smooth you guys will see Don is very intelligent and he knows his stuff. We're going to talk about a variety of things. We're going to get to know Don first off, okay, sort of his background. And we're going to get to know Don in the way of him judging at USA, which is something that I've never heard about before, but it sounds very, very cool. And we're going to talk about compressor overheat, liquid injection, and we're going to talk about CO2 as a refrigerant because that's something I know nothing about and a lot of people don't because it's sort of newer and it's sort of niche driven right now into supermarkets and whatnot but we're going to talk about all of that stuff right now guys coming up on the HVAC know it all podcast I'm your host Gary McCready welcome to the HVAC know it all podcast recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto Canada your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry, discussing all things HVAC, from storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Mr. Gillis, how are you? I'm doing good. That's awesome, man. So last week, we had uh, your colleague on the podcast, Trevor. You did? Trevor was, uh, yeah, Trevor was on, man. And now you're on. It's like a, an Emerson lineup.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I I hate following Trevor. That's a that's my biggest fear. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah,
1: he's he's uh we talked about uh the course that I did with him uh about 3 years back now. Uh about compressor failures and um Matt Waxer was on with us um and we just we just kind of rifled Trevor with some questions and he uh, he answered them and, and we had a, a really good conversation. So, I'm I'm planning to have a really good conversation with you as well.
0: Oh, I I think we will. I uh, Trevor is a joy. All joking aside, Trevor is a joy to be around, and uh, he was one of my many mentors when I came on to to Emerson a few years ago, or almost four years ago now. So yeah, we've spent a lot of time together. Even though we're in different countries, we we've uh, we've bonded pretty good. Well, Trevor's from the east coast of Canada, and I don't think
1: you've you'll ever meet an east coaster. They say they call them they, they say down south, which is which is really or sorry, down east. <laughs> when you talk about anyone that's from like Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, it's like yeah, from down east, even though they're not down, they're they're east. But <laughs> <laughs> any anybody you you ever meet from that part of the the country, they're always they're always like the nicest people they're just very very um I don't know what the word is but they're very like humble you know what I mean so ah. and 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 Trevor Trevor's that way you really get that vibe from him that he's a really humble humble person and, and just wants to be um helpful in in, yes. in, in, in what he does so we're going to talk about first of all let, let's kind of get your background a little bit and then talk about uh how you you do some judging at Skills USA because I don't even know what that is and I want to get kind of into that and figure out what what that is and what you do there so maybe you can tell us uh before all
0: this emerson training stuff that y- you got into what were you doing before that so um i was uh you know going back probably about 26 years ago now is roughly somewhere thereabouts um i was a laid off union steel worker at one time um kind of did what, you know, in my area, that's what a lot of people did. My parents were both steel workers, were union people and and what have you. Well, they, you know, as time went on, uh, unfortunately around my era, when jobs should have been plentiful, everything was going, you know, overseas, unfortunately. So the doors started closing. So I was, you know, just, I was a young guy. I was 24, 25, whatever I was, and, and uh, three kids. And, and a house payment. And long story short is I had to reinvent myself. And, uh, so I, I started out at a Linux dealer, just a mom and pop shop. We did plumbing, electrical, uh, obviously Linux uh, furnaces. It was all HVAC and, uh, had no experience whatsoever. And within a month, I knew that if I was going to make a living at this, um, I was going to have to get some, you know, some, some training of some sort. So I put myself self through school, uh, two nights a week. Uh, I was making eight bucks an hour, which I you know, I laugh about. I love telling that story in class now. But anyways, uh, I, I guess along the way, like yourself, I don't know if I would say I was an overachiever. I just was driven. Um, we have very good work ethics where I'm at. I'm in, I'm in like a farm, rural farm community, if I will, if you will. I worked in the city most of my life, but I commuted like 45 minutes both ways. So, but we have very good work ethics. So I just, you know, wasn't afraid to jump up in the attics and get in the crawl spaces and do commercial work. We did a lot of commercial work and stuff. So, and I just, um, I guess the best way I can put it is, is by just getting up early and staying late and applying myself and always wanting to get more knowledge, trying to, you know, get better at what I was doing. Um, I guess people took notice and, uh, it wasn't my plan. You know, like all of us, Gary, you, you know, you're, you're driven and, uh, you know, you just, you just apply yourself and next thing you know, you turn around and 20 years, it went by and, and you're here at Emerson. But if there was a, I guess if there was a peak in my career, I was a service manager for about nine years over in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I live right on the state line of Ohio and in Indiana. I'm about 45 minutes from the Copeland plant. I was born and raised here. Um, so I did that for about nine, nine and a half years. And quite honestly, I got burnt out. Uh, I was a licensed journeyman, um, you know, and I had all the certificates that you can, you know, obviously did the EPA thing right away my first year and all that good stuff that we have here in the States and uh, just kept taking a lot of courses. I think I've been to three different trade schools and uh, so, but I got burnt out. I was answering the phone all the time. I was, I don't know if I would I, th- I think I could be accused of being a workaholic. I took my work home with me, and uh, had about fifteen, twenty people probably underneath me on the service side. And uh, sometimes uh, you could almost bet which ones weren't going to answer their phones if you if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I say that jokingly. I loved them all, but uh, I would tell my wife, "Hey, it's Fourth of July or July 6th or whatever, and so and so is on call and." You know, I really don't get too far away from the phone. And sure enough, her and I would jump in a truck. We spent a lot of holidays, fourth of July's uh running service calls together as a couple <laughs> grabbing a sandwich afterwards or something. So anyways, I got into territorial manager. I was trying to reinvent myself. It took me three years to give my two weeks notice, I often say. Uh the owner cried literally and hopefully he's not listening because he's a third, <laughs> third generation HVAC guy. He'll, he'll kill me for that. But, um, but he's, a, he's a manly man, but we, we were the same age and he was really good with a pencil. He was a millionaire and had a plane and a boat and stuff. And I was, I guess I was kind of like his right-hand man. And, um, uh, but anyways, I told him over lunch and, um, and it hurt. And I went into territorial sales and I did that for about two months. And I think in that two month period, I, turned around and started to drive home and just said, this wasn't me. I, w- I just wasn't cut out for sales. And then all of a sudden my phone started ringing and next thing you know, I, I, I realized I didn't have to tell anybody uh, how to fix anything anymore, but all I had to know was, uh, you know, availability, warranties and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, what's the cost of it. So I did that for okay. about two and a half, three years. I covered Ohio, Indiana and part of Illinois and, um, uh, somebody reached out to me from Emerson and said, Hey, um, uh, we got this position. And, uh, but here's the catch. Um, there's 40 weeks of traveling, 34, 35 to 40 weeks of traveling and you cover all of North America. Is that something you think you might be interested in coming in for an interview? So I, uh, I thought about it. I came home to my wife. I've, I I don't know if I told you or not. I got married when I was 18 and that was 39 years ago. So um, we, we, uh, I came back, we're empty nesters and, uh, and I said, Patty, uh, here's a deal. And I told her and, um, uh, she looked at me and she said, look, you know, if you don't do it, you're going to regret not doing it. It's what you want to do. It's what you've always wanted to do. Cause I, I missed ch- just teaching people how to put condenser fan motors in like people out of school and starting and, you know, greenhorns and stuff. I always enjoyed, you know, hands-on working and stuff, but yeah. So anyways, Gary, I, I took this position just about just a little over three and a half years ago now. And again, I'm joking, but by default <laughs> I became from retirements and what have you, I became the lead instructor because of people retiring and moving on to different, you know, different companies and what have you. So, uh, so it was, uh, you know, I had to, basically the first year, year and a half, like Trevor had to, uh, I just basically shut the curtains and the blinds and started reading A bulletins and everything I could digest and absorb. And I mean, I'm not kidding you. I was over the top. Uh, Trevor mentioned to me one time, he said, you're you're one of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. I I would literally listen to audio to and from work on the plane. (laughs) I would put my headphones on weekends. I mean, I just cut my whole social life off for like a year and a half, but it paid off. I expedited my knowledge on Copeland as much as I could. There's a lot of information, but uh, anyways, so that's where we're at today. And uh, and uh, I, I would I wouldn't trade it for the world. I love it to death. Well, that was um,
1: you. You told that very well. Actually, you told that from you. You banged in a lot of information there in, in, in a few short minutes. Um, and and what kind of hit home with me is the fact that you or didn't hit home, but it did. But when you said you had like 20 guys under you and, and the phone kept ringing and I was thinking of being in that position and how frustrating it would be when you're in charge of all these, these people and it's a holiday and someone's on call and they're not answering their phone. Like that would drive me insane. And then you said your wife went with you on these service calls and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's that, that's incredible, man. Like not many people, um, would have their wife jump in the van with them yeah. and, and go on service calls. So, like, she must obviously have some sort of she. She must really, first of all, love you a lot yeah. to, to do that. But she al- almost must have some interest in what you're doing too, right?
0: Yeah, that she, to she's uh You know, I don't think she would be offended by me saying this. Um, she's, she's, um, it's not, it wouldn't be unusual to watch, see my wife and, and Trevor knows Patty really well. They've, they've done some daredevil things together. Like, you know, when we've been on road, road trips here in the States before to like, you know, Brian Orr's convention or AHR or whatever, her and Trevor have done, they haven't bungee jumped together, but they'll do like ferris wheels and stuff together but she's kind of like a tomboy she's she's walking around the yard all the time with a pump pliers in her backyard or taking something apart and i gotta tell her to put it down you know that's 220 let me look at that first you know so but uh no see, we, we're we we're just like best friends we you know we're we've just been best friends a long time and and uh as i it's sappy as that sounds and you know and uh we just enjoy being together so you know it was never be at that point in my life I was fairly decent like yourself to where I wasn't you know there wasn't anything out there I was afraid to run into I knew whatever was sitting there waiting for me I would figure out it was just a matter of taking time out of my day but once you got in the truck and you start running those calls it's like what started out to be a bad situation you have fun with you know where Patty and I would stop and grab an ice cream cone or something and and just do our best. And, and they paid me well. I don't want to lie about it. I mean, they, 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 they treated us very well. So mm-hmm. uh, the part I didn't bring in is, is the, the owner did a, a very good job with his business and it wasn't unusual for him to win, you know, by sales by, you know, win three or four incentive trips a year. So I'm not bragging because we were very middle-class, but it wasn't unusual for him to give me at least one trip a year or us, Patty and I like, Hey, you take the, so-and-so wholesalers cruise for five days. So that was always nice because, you know, when you're in that position, you can't take vacation throughout the whole summer. You know what I mean? That's just, mm-hmm. it's taboo, you know? So my vacations were in January or February and like it is where you're at, it's pretty cold here in Ohio. Um, so, but it was great feeling, you know, if, if you, uh, you know, got left Ohio at minus 10 and got down to Florida at 70, even that felt like a vacation, you know?
1: Oh yeah, for sure it would. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, so moving on to something I thought was pretty cool that you told me that you're involved in was the skills USA. You say you're, um, you do some judging there. So can you like, tell me a little bit about what that is and then
0: how, what, what you're doing as a judge, um, for skills USA? Yeah. So we have these simulators. In fact, Trevor's team just purchased, uh, eight of them, the Canadian team up there in Brantford, and, um, and we have these mobile simulators, refrigeration simulators. They have little K bodies on them, uh, that we travel with. We have eight of them and, uh, we travel throughout the States with them. It's one of our classes. It's a simulator class. We typically have two or three students per simulator. Uh, we use those simulators at skills, USA in Louisville, Kentucky. Now this is the national level. Um, so in the States, if you don't know, they have, you're you know the best of the best in each one of the 50 states and and puerto rico and uh then they all rise to the top uh throughout the year throughout competitions they all go to the state capital in each state that they have and then the best of the best end up in louisville kentucky in uh i believe it's july or August, july july of the summer and uh and they have all these different competitions. Now it's not just HVAC or HVAC refrigeration. It's, you know, it's it's cooking, it's uh, you know, cosmetology, it's everything under the sun. It's it's any kind of trade like that. But just in this just in our area, I mean it's 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 unbelievable. Like Hussman's got a booth, Emerson's got a booth, train's got a booth, Appian's got a booth. They go literally through all these different obstacles and just move and shift like every hour. So we'll run, you know, within a whole day, we'll run 70 students through our little booth and, uh, they come in like at four or five at a time, six at a time, whatever. And I spearhead that now, since I've been on at Emerson, I, um, uh, I took the leadership role, if you will. I'm, I'm the lead trainer now in the States. And, uh, so I put a team together sometimes it's made up of application engineers of emerson and sometimes depending on how busy they are i just start plucking people like last year for example uh or the year before i guess they canceled it last year uh because of the covid but the year before i just uh we were in a situation emerson where you know everybody was busy so, uh, I, I was able to get two or three people, but I, d- I needed, you know, probably nine more. So I just started reaching out to, you know, fellow coworkers, other service managers, people in wholesales that I, I knew, uh, ex students that are now trainers for, you know, different distributors. Um, you know, I don't want to mention one and forget it, 10 other ones, but, um, the, so it was a lot of fun. We, I put this hodgepodge group together and they came from, I mean, they drove as far as four or five States away just to be there. Cause it's, it's, I guess what I'm saying is, is, uh, it's a big honor to be in that judge because you're literally judging what should be, or what is the best in the nation of technicians, the future of our industry, basically. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, these are, these are the top notch people and, uh, they're, they're pretty darn sharp. Uh, some of them will just blow you away. Um, when they walk in the booth, they're, um, uh, they're sharp as tacks. I mean, you can't give anything away. You have to, I, I have been the person that's done the malfunction, if you will, the, 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 the glitch in each one of the simulators. I do the same thing for each one of them. One year, for example, the first year I was here, I reversed the solenoid valve on the liquid line pump down. And, uh, they were older solenoid valves, so it was hard to see the arrow. And again, most of these people are guys or gals or that we're talking about 15, 16, 17, 18 year old people. You know what I mean? It's not like you where, you know, right away, Hey, have you checked this? So, you know, so, um, uh, another year I, 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 painted a piece of cardboard, uh, and had the guys in the lab drill some holes through it. And I, I suffocated the condenser fan behind the fan shroud where they couldn't see it. If they looked down in there, I had them paint it black. And, uh, we just try to come up with different ideas and, uh, and, uh, you know, the thing shuts off on high head and uh, it's a lot of fun though. It's, it's a two or three day event and, uh, nonstop. And it's a, it's a big deal. If you've, I would encourage anybody that's never heard of it to go online and just Google it because, uh, the, I believe it's the, the Louisville convention center. It is a massive place. I mean, this thing is, it is, it's, it's, it's like I travel a lot. Like I said, 40 weeks a year. I'm in New York, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, you name it. I go there. We go there. And uh, this thing is nonstop buses pulling up in front of these places. And all these kids getting off of these red blazers. That's the, that's the staple for this, the U.S. Uh, Skills USA. They all wear red blazers. And uh, they come in and uh, it's pretty It's pretty cool. It's really, a, it's, it's um, something I'm pretty proud of.
1: It it does sound cool. It sounds very intense too. Like, <laughs> um, it, it, like, uh, like almost like, uh, I don't know. I've, I've seen movies where people go, go to these skills competitions and, and every time it's, it, from what I, from what I picture in my mind, the way you're describing there's it, like yelling and cheering. Like, is there yelling and cheering going on while all these yes.
0: people are, yeah. is there? Yeah. Cause that's how I pictured it in my, in my mind. So the first year I was there. you know, there's not really the yelling or the screaming, what have you. Everything's roped off. You have to be very careful about leaving anything out. I know this sounds silly to you and I, but this is pretty competitive. I mean, you have the actual instructors, you have people that are representing like brands that we all know, you know, equipment brand manufacturers that are actually like, you know, sponsoring people and coaching people. And you see I've ran into a lot of people I've met through the trades through my my career. What are you doing here? Oh, I've got a stu- you know I've got a guy that you know we're kind of you know helping out and moving along, and it's very competitive. And you'll see him move from booth to booth, and they're trying to get a leg up on. Oh, what do they what they do over there? You know what they hide. So we have guys that actually are watching. They can't film anything. They can't take pictures. Why the students are behind the ropes? It's all roped off. They have to stay. You know. 15 20 feet away it's it's um, it was a real eye-opener when I first went there. I never you know when you think of sports and stuff you think of that kind of stuff but you don't realize when you get there that this is the nationals you know when you get there it's uh, uh, it's pretty competitive I mean I, you know, I don't want to say anybody's trying to cheat but they their mom and dad are there the coaches are there their instructors are there from the vocational schools everybody that's you know had anything to do with their career is there. Sounds very cool. I'd like to maybe watch. Is there like videos online? Yeah, like YouTube
1: videos and stuff.
0: Yes, there is a there is a lot of footage out there. It is a okay super super big deal, and and once you once you get on board on the uh, in, in instructor thing, I was going to share this with you. It is like I can never tell somebody now when I threw that team together two summers ago that weren't mostly Emerson people that they can't come back because once they do it it's like hey i want to do this every year you know they just they feel honored that they're a part of it because it's it is it's just a really good feeling that you're kind of playing a very small part in the future of our industry and it's a real cool feeling
1: it sounds it sounds very cool um and i'm going to check it out online i suggest everybody else that's listening does too because maybe maybe they can send one of their students or Apprentices to this thing and coach <laughs> coach them along. Um, so we we have some some cool things that, that we decided that we were going to talk about, and I think they're really important. And and one of the last things is which I don't have any experience in. I haven't even discussed this with anybody really. Is is CO two? So we'll get to that one um, in a bit. But one thing that we were going to discuss was was liquid injection. Mm -hmm. um for 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 compressors that when we come talk about compressors liquid injection and what it's for and why we do it Mm -hmm. so do you want to maybe speak to that a little bit yeah yeah absolutely so quick break here guys now later in the podcast we're going to talk about co2 with don as a refrigerant and systems now yj yellow jacket makes a co2 manifold now conversation on facebook some people were saying that you don't really need them because there's there's transducers that read back pressures and there's gauges all over the system but i'm thinking maybe as a verification tool um, to make sure those sensors are working correctly those transducers or those analog gauges uh, you could use it as a verification tool um, just to check some things now and again. I, I mean, maybe you won't use them all the time, but having them in your truck to know that I have them if I need them might be worthwhile in the long run. So, Nylog has, has done something very, very cool, and I'm holding it in my hand. Well, it's in my pocket. Now it's in my hand. Nylog is going to be going to a, a two-pack, okay? And it's, it's packaged in like a, a clamshell type plastic packaging and one of the reasons is to throw your nylog back in there afterwards so it's not leaking on stuff because that was one of the the major complaints that uh, refrigeration technologies was getting is that the nylog would leak onto their tools so now it comes in this little plastic clamshell. you can throw back in there and potentially put it back in your in your tool bag and it's the profile is a very low profile on the packaging so it could probably fit in most tool bags so I'm gonna be taking a picture of this and probably sharing it very very shortly. But it's very cool. Nylog two pack, which will be starting to show up in suppliers as of January one, 2021. Now I'm gonna put down a YouTube channel. I'm gonna drop a YouTube channel link, okay, in the podcast notes for Fix Quick. Fix Quick is something I experimented experimented with. Cooler products distributes it in the us and in canada and it's made by aircom and basically it's it's a it's a two-step system to repair a leak basically you brush on a fluid and then put a powdered accelerant on top of it and i experimented with it just to know for me that it works okay and it 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 did it held up to just under 400 psi i'm going to drop that video so you guys can go look at it and, and see if there's a place or a scenario where it could come in handy for you, right? I just got off a, a, a message with somebody that reached out to me and, and was asking me about external and internal sealants because they have a machine where it's jammed up against something, I guess, and they can't get torches to the back of it and braze. So they're asking me about alternatives. And th- this is where products like this come up and come into play as as an alternative method to the traditional methods where they could come in handy it's just keeping an open mind and knowing that they work and that's why i test them so i know they work anyway that's called fix quick i'll drop the youtube link so you guys can see it um navac guys their vacuum pumps sorry are tremendous been using them now for a couple of years and i haven't had a problem at all um, like I said, the, the 12 CFM on, on that chiller pull down I did a few days ago, the thing ran 24 hours straight in weather that was cold outside. And when I came back 48 hours later, it it was fine. It was fine. Um, there was actually two, 24-hour period, and then I, I started again for another 48 hours. So it ran unattended really for like 36 hours. So guys, NAVAC, their vacuum pumps... DC driven, uh, 100, 300, 500 feet of cord because they're DC driven. You're not going to pop a breaker when you go try to start it up, which is very, very cool. And last but not least, and I can't put this on a pedestal enough, best in class leak detector. You guys are going to find if you ever purchase it is a Testo 316-3. It's found every single leak that I have looked for myself. There's not been a leak that it hasn't found. It's very, very accurate. It's very precise. And it's a very good leak detector
0: if you're in the market for one. Anyway, guys, let's get back to Don. So I'm I'm the guy with the simple button, and this is what I say every time in the class. So the way I teach, if you haven't seen my videos, is I assume that, you know, that you don't, not you personally, but the person doesn't know anything. So I I, I always apologize in advance and say, OK, I'm going to I'm going to draw you some pictures in your head and give you a good visual along with the PowerPoint. And the reason I say all that, Gary, is 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 uh, as Trevor would tell you, is unlike a college instructor where someone might have them for three months or a semester or a year or two, we a lot of times have them for eight hours. So, with that said, when I talk about um, any kind of injection, the first thing I establish is why do we use it? What are what are we saying? When I hear injection of any kind, whether it's liquid or vapor. I immediately know that I'm just, I'm cooling the compressor off. That's that's the main purpose of what we're doing there. We, we're getting down to these ultra low temperatures and that discharge line's getting hot coming out. And we know it's a killer of compressors as Trevor probably spoke with you about it. I mean, overheat is the number one uh, killer of compressors by far. So uh, that's the first thing. Now, when I talk about liquid injection, I'm talking about strictly cooling and that's it. And there's different types of liquid injection. We got the DTC valve. We got, you know, we, we can inject inside the, uh, the inside the, uh, uh, the, 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 the uh, suction line coming in. Uh, there's all different applications. Um, you know, you can use a brace plate heat exchanger for vapor injection. But when we talk about vapor injection or enhanced vapor injection, we're talking about two things. And there we're talking about not only cooling the compressor, but we're actually talking about helping the capacity, making it more efficient. And what I mean by that is, since this is a podcast, and I've got something I'm going to release on Friday that's uh, that's going to kind of coincide with this. It wasn't purposely done, but I had been working on something already. So, But you have to visualize, if you're familiar with brace plate heat exchangers, and you see a lot of them in racks and what have you. And they, a lot of times they can be used like with um, both sides of that uh, brace plate heat exchanger. One could be refrigerant on one side and refrigerant on the other side, or you could have glycol on one side and refrigerant. So with that said is we've got a normal system visualize the compressor, the condenser, the metering device, and the evaporator. Now, just for a second, I want you to visualize when you're leaving the condenser in that subcooled liquid line. You're teen off there, you're teen off there, and you're coming down to either one of two things: an EV, okay, uh, or a solenoid valve. One or the other that's communicating with something leaving on the discharge line, typically whether that's an OEM's board or or just a regular uh, wire thermostat of some sort coming back to the coil that's opening and closing. Basically, it's taking the temperature reading. From the discharge line and saying, "Hey, we're at that 225 mark." Um, for like, for example, our X line units, our condenser units at 225, they start injecting. You know, right away. Okay, they don't let it get above 225. So we start injecting. What happens there is that liquid, subcooled liquid, opens up either through that silenoid valve or through that electronic valve, that EV, and wh- whichever way it does, it meters that. So, and then it goes through the uh, one side of that brace plate heat exchanger. So if you can visualize this brace plate heat exchanger is a bunch of plates together, similar to like a radiator. And, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm talking as if you don't, No one's ever seen it before, but most Uh of you probably have. Okay. But it's like a radiator. And if you've used, I did a lot of geothermal through my career and and they have a coax in there. And that's how they, that's how they pull that energy from the ground. You've got glycol and you got refrigerant and they're exchanging that heat, you know, heat transfer. So one side of it, if you will. I'm going to say it acts almost like an evaporator, and the other side acts almost like a condenser. But it's, but it's, it's exchanging heat. You know, we know hot goes to cold. So on the subcooled liquid side, the liquid line of the normal system that would be running through there is going through one side. On the other side, we're metering the refrigerant, so it's now saturated or you know, primarily liquid going into a vapor. It's picking up that heat from the subcooled liquid. So first of all, we'll stop there on that subcooled liquid, let's say we had 105 degrees and I'm just throwing numbers out there of subcooled liquid entering that brace plate heat exchanger and it would normally be 105 or maybe a little warmer than that heading into the metering device on a regular system. We add the brace plate heat exchanger and we counterflow that that saturated refrigerant going the opposite direction counterflowing it, we're picking up that heat, removing let's say Let's say we're removing, for the sake of not arguing, we're removing 45 degrees. So what was 105 is now 60. So what is that telling you? Now we have 60 degrees subcooled liquid going into the metering device on our normal system. So that tells me and tells everyone that's going to give us better capacity at that Mm -hmm. evaporator. We can absorb a lot more heat there. So we know that for sure. Now, on the other side of the coin, that vapor that we picked up or that heat that we picked up from that subcool liquid it's now superheated vapor we take that back into the head of the compressor and we inject it vapor injection in the medium area of that scroll set okay where it does the least amount of damage if you will or throws the pressures off and and I'll try to give you a visual here so it's like we're using if we're using 404A, for example, and um, and let's say without the brace plate heat exchanger, we're entering, we're leaving the evaporator, we're going in that compressor, and let's say we're going into that compressor at minus 25. I don't have a PT chart in front of me, but let's say it's 404A, and let's say it's 13 pounds or somewhere thereabouts. Well, on the other side of that, with the Braceplate Heat Exchanger, we're going in with that vapor and going into that head and injecting it in that scroll set, okay? It's actually bored out through the fixed scroll at the top of the scroll and injecting that vapor inside that that medium area of that scroll where it best matches that that pressure temperature. And at 50 degrees, let's say, plus 50, uh, as opposed to minus 25, let's say we're 113 PSIG. So 13 PSIG compared to 113 or 114, whatever it is, somewhere thereabouts, okay, you can imagine how much work we've taken off that compressor. Because the objective is, with the minus 25, we're going to have to raise that pressure and raise that temperature to get it through. And And the mechanics of the compressor has to normally do that. Well, we've taken that load you know, part of that load and shifted it over to the heat exchanger outside the compressor, where there's no energy even working. Really, we're just using physics by passing those two refrigerants, you know, through that praise plate heat exchanger and transferring that heat. So we're get, we're 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 winning on the subcooled side, and we're and we're winning on the vapor side because now we picked up that heat from the subcooled liquid and we're utilizing it back at the top of the compressor where we want it at. And, we, and none of that work had to be done inside the, the the scroll if you get what I'm saying yeah
1: i I've also seen this with um, minus 40 like a minus 40 <clears throat> plasma freezer mm-hmm. minus 40c but it wasn't a a, a a braised plate heat exchanger it was it's more like a, a suction line accumulator where the the, the the suction line goes in and comes back out and then the uh, the liquid line also goes in and comes back out and they exchange heat there similar
0: to what you're you're describing exactly what it is and I, i've seen them before um a lots of times and it's exactly what it is it's internal and, and and that's very common too um but you get the gist of it and and that's why i use the comparison on the geothermal too it's they have what they call a coax and it's it's very similar the the bottom line is we're transferring that heat and using it where we where we want it to be just you know just just like we do in a normal system a very generic system you know Um, it's the same concept, but just a little different, different. They're just, you know, they're, they're with the brace plate heat exchanger or the sub cooler, like you're talking about, they're basically, we're just doing, we're, we're doing that work outside the mechanical side of it to where we're saving that, you know, making it more efficient, if you will.
1: Yeah. Um, and the, the same system that I'm thinking of that had this style of, um, like the sub cooler. It also had it has a mechanical device. Um, basically, it's, there's like a hole in the top of the compressor. I'm, I'm trying to remember this right. I think there's, a, there's like a drilled out spot in the top of the compressor, and there's an insertion of like a temperature monitoring. Uh, yes. it's, it's, it's mechanical. Yep. And then there's a line that comes in. I believe it's from the liquid line. And if the compressor gets too hot, it just injects a little bit of um, liquid into, the, into that compressor to keep it cool.
0: Yes. Yeah. Is that how that works? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what I think you're describing is what we call to, and there's, again, this is what I said at the beginning. There's, there's through the years, depending on what era it was, there's a lot of different, uh, relay sensors. Uh, what we used to see all the time before the DTC valve is the common one. I think it was introduced in, I want to say 99 may have 99, but that's the most common one. And you're right. It goes and takes the temperature, uh, probe and drops it down. And like a well, a dry well, if you will, at the very top of the yep. compressor, it almost looks like a thermal couple, if you will. It's yeah, it does. That's right. You can take it, it and service it and take it off. And, uh, out of there and it's replaceable. So yeah, that's, that I think is what you're describing there. And that's, that's the most common probably. Um, and before that you would have a series of different, um, Instead of like a metering device, well, it was a metering device, but they were, but unlike today where, you know, we get into EVs and things, they were almost like, they were like cap tubes. Not like, they were cap tubes. And and obviously, you know, you know how cap tubes work. The more refrigerant you want, the bigger the bore, the shorter the cap tube is uh, to get the juice there quicker. So, um, but you might've had, you know, six or seven different choices with, uh, you know, and, and there was a lot of variance there when they came up with the DTC valve, it, it eliminated a lot of that. It's an all-in-one mounts on the side and it, and you described it perfectly.
1: Cool. Um, along the same lines as, as compressor heat, like back, back in the day or compressor overheat back in the day, I used to see, uh, this freezer warehouse we took care of, there was a bunch of uh, semi-hermetic compressors and they all had these big honking, ugly oil coolers <laughs> sitting yeah. above them where the, the oil would be pumped through and the fans would cool the oil. Yeah. But that, that's kind of like a, I don't see that anymore. That's more like an old school method, right? What you're describing now is kind of like the new way of doing things.
0: It, yeah, it, it is the new way of doing things, but you, they're still out there. You, you, you'll you see them a lot more on, not, you'll see them on the semi hemetric So it depends on like, there's an A bulletin for all of those. And we talk about them in all our classes and and each one of those applications, it, it really depends on, you know, when you start to see fans and those things and those coolers like that, you don't see coolers as much anymore. But when you start to see that fans, that fans has to constantly run at a thousand CFMs and you might have a cooler also on it, but you don't get involved in that typically on any refrigerant, or any application until you're down to about minus 25 or below. Um, that's when you'll see that kind of stuff, but you, you, you can still see it. We still talk about it. They're still out there, um, on your larger semi-hermetics, but yes, uh, you, they are still available.
1: And, and the reason being that when we get to those low temperatures, like uh low temp refrigeration, the reason we need to, to cool the compressor and the oil and all that is because from what I've been, what I've been taught, and you can see this is the volume of gas coming back to the compressor is is not is not there like it is in air conditioning. You're not having that that large volume of gas coming back uh, to cool that
0: compressor off, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So where where a lot of this comes into play is exactly what you're saying. The lower the temperatures, when we get into those ZFs. Um, zf models of compressors like on the scrolls and stuff is when we start to see those really ultra low temperatures i'm talking minus 35 minus 40 you know you're you you have to have that either liquid or vapor injection um and and you're exactly right gary it's it's uh that it's unlike refrigerant we don't have enough refrigerant coming back to cool that most everything out there you brought up a good point. Uh, Most everything out there for I don't know how young some of the listeners are, but most of our products are refrigerant cooled, you know, very, very few of our compressors, uh, probably less than 10% of them are are air cooled, you know, your K bodies come to mind, uh, some of those, but most of everything we make is refrigerant cooled. So, and, 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 and I often say when I start out the day is what's the two purposes we have refrigerant lines? Why, what's, what's the two biggest things we, we, why we size refrigerant lines and you get this deer in the headlight look sometimes depending on the age of the group or what have you, but, and I'm not trying to trick anybody, but we need, we need the refrigerant lines to be large enough to bring enough volume back to cool the compressor. And we need them to be small enough to make sure we have good velocity pushing that oil back. And so it kind of goes hand in hand with that. And when you slow that down or you get down to those low temperatures, those compressors are much more robust. For example, on our scrolls, those tips on those scroll sets get much, much thicker. We don't allow them to separate as quick at the end on those tips uh, because we don't want any type of re-expansion gas at all in there, you know, to keep them as efficient as possible. But uh, they're very, very robust.
1: (laughs) Mm-hmm. that's that's there's one other topic that or it's it's not another topic but another point to bring up about compressor overheat and i know it's thrown some guys for a loop that i've worked with in the past and one particular instance comes to mind it actually happened more than once there there was a walk-in box it's just i think it's uh it's it's just um like a a walk-in cooler it's like five degrees C or like 40 degrees F or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and it was installed by another contractor, but we, we were doing the maintenance of the entire building. Um, and the general that was in charge of the project subbed these guys out anyway. So it was under warranty and a couple of times I got calls saying that it wasn't working. Uh, so I'd go out there, the compressor was running, but it wasn't cooling. Um, and I'd put my gauges on and the compressor the, the, the pressures were were the same on both sides, even though the compressor was running
0: mm-hmm.
1: Now most people would think, man, my compressor's dead the the valves are shot or whatever but what it was is that that this type of compressor and it was it was a, it was a Copeland, Um I guess when it got hot enough that the scrolls disengaged yeah. they separated from each other yeah and, and it just stopped pumping. But when you shut the power down and then let it cool and come back the next day it starts pumping again. yeah right and and I think that's something that a lot of techs got to watch out for is, is to make sure that that's the case and they're not sending a compressor back for warranty when it's when it's fine. And the reason this was happening is because the TX valve screen was getting plugged up and I, I don't know if they didn't nitrogen braze or what it was, but mm. it seemed it seemed that way because there was quite a, a, a lot of piping. And um, even though there's filter dryers in there in between the filter dryer and the, and the TX valve, if there's a bunch of joints on large diameter piping, you're going to get, you're going to get carbon and you're going to get it flowing back towards there. And they were back like two or three times cleaning these screens because that's how many times it it happened. Um, but I've seen it in the past where techs have, have um, condemned the compressor for doing this when it was actually just protecting itself.
0: Yeah, that's a so we have a model similar to that, uh, almost identical to that. It's the ASTP. And, uh, there is a, a nice video out there, um, that I often show in our three-day teardown class. I'm sure Trevor shows it also. Um, I know he does because we, we work together. I, I help Trevor when he gives a large class, I go up there and work with him. So, uh, but, uh, and it does exactly what you're saying the funny thing about it is when you watch that video is i always point it out to everyone because we're building up them to understand about that 225 stay alive on your discharge line that's six inches down uh outside your your compressor um that's going to hold true on about 95 eh, percent of your compressors and there's and the ones that's not going to hold true are going to be scrolls that that'll that'll hold true for all semi-hermetics and ninety some percent of the scrolls out there, ninety five, let's say, um, and the ones that it won't hold true to, you'll have some type of temperature reading from the OEM on that discharge line. So getting back to that two twenty five, um, that if you where we come up with that two twenty five, and you probably know this, Gary, if you've been to Trevor's classes before, but that two twenty five is what they've the, they come to find is, and I used to say everybody's compressor, but I backed off of it now. And because I'm only speaking for one and that's Copeland, but it's really not about compressors, it's about oil. And Uh what they found over the years is we've, we lose somewhere between 50 to 75 degrees from the hottest point of the compressor to six inches down the discharge line. So taking in the thought that we lose, let's say worst scenario, 75, and you know where I'm headed with this, the Mm -hmm. 75 and the 225 were that 300 degrees, that 300 degrees is a magical number to where you start to lose your viscosity. It really starts to get thinned out. And on any compressor, if you stop and think about it, I know this sounds like common sense, but the hottest part of that compressor at the top of the discharge area is, is, is to the closest to the thinnest film of oil in the compressor too, between either the pistons the cylinders or or your scroll set. So it's a it's a slippery slope there where you start to cook and uh it gets hot and compression ratios go up and and it's gone. So but the reason I'm telling you that is on that video, it'll go off at 275 degrees and it'll kick off. And that's when that little bimetal thing opens up on that scroll set and basically what it does, it relieves the gas out of the scroll set, letting the floating seal fall down. It can't hold it up anymore. And that cavity, that pressurized area, it opens up and shoots that gas out and comes down on the inherent protector but you're right. We, we, the video says, and we say just because a, a compressor is running and not pumping doesn't mean it's bad. We had a rash of compressors come back when they first unveiled that compressor years ago, from what I understand. And they just kept coming up with better and different designs of these decals on the side of the compressor and all kinds of warning labels, you know? So, uh, we try to educate his bets and that's that's one of those classifications. I'm sure if Trevor's been on a few times, he's mentioned to you. We have a classification like you know, as many as 30 percent of some scrolls models come back to Copeland to our plant with identified as NFF, no fault found. That's a pretty large number, and it's 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 major on the scrolls because of all the different safety features like what you're talking about. It's easy to misdiagnose you know, even that inherent protector, it opens up and you don't know it. And you, it looks open to you from common to start or common to run, you know, and you don't realize, uh, you know, most people do after a while, but that's why you're running the water over the top of the compressors. How many times have have we done that or, or ice to pack it up? I mean, that was my, I jokingly say that was my first service call. I didn't even know what I was doing, but uh, I was told to run water, the compressor. This is back before cell phones. I don't even know if we had pagers then, but um, but anyways, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. And those
1: compressors stay hot. Like it seems like forever. So you, you do need to, and unless you're going to walk away for 24 hours yeah, and it needs to be up and running. Yeah. You do need to start cooling that thing down with, with water or ice, but I can see, um, I can see the future of, of training for you, Don, for for compressors like this, where Tex will walk up to a machine and maybe maybe ten years from now there'll be like a little hologram of you that just appears on the top of the compressor that says, "Hey, <laughs> hey, you, um, this compressor might not be dead." <laughs> yeah. Uh, instead of those warning labels, maybe just a little hologram
0: of 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 your yeah. uh, of yourself popping up on top of that compressor there. <clears throat> Well, that's, that's what guys like you and Trevor and, and other ones out there, the podcast and stuff, hopefully that's what we're doing, is uh, is getting getting the word out and getting the education as best as we can. Um, but yeah, well, you, the people you, that you listen. brought a great topic,
1: though. Yeah, the people that listen to podcasts are the ones that are trying to learn. It's, it's the ones that don't listen and don't read and don't read... Have the bulletins and stuff; those are the ones you need to worry about because those are the those are the ones that we like to call know it alls because they don't they don't pers- subscribe to to learning. It's like ah, I, it's you know what I mean. That's the way they are, yeah. and th- those guys will never learn. But the people that are listening to this, they're here to to learn. They're here to learn from from guys like you talking about this stuff. So that's going to help them, and hopefully, they can go teach their their co-workers or their, their colleagues, <laughs> the stuff yeah. that they're, they're learning about now. So, um, so moving on to, to the next thing, which is intriguing to me because I, I have no idea um, how it's used, where it's used, why, and, and all this stuff is, is CO2 refrigerant. I know it's natural and I know it's um, friendly for the environment and I, and I know that the pressures are, um, can be pretty high in, in a system, right? Using CO2. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, so, um, how do we start this out? We, I usually start out by saying, first of all, I don't get into politics. Um, whether you believe it's man-made or not man-made, that's, um, I mean, that's not what we're talking about. We're just, cause really what I really like to establish is because I have no dog in this fight. Um, and Emerson, Copeland, and our competitors don't really have a dog in the fight. Why would a compressor manufacturer like ourselves and our competitors? be tooling up not today but years ago and still more now uh for these natural refrigerants coming down or or i.e. CO2 um it, it, what what do the, what skin do they have in the game well that's the direction things are going and uh and sometimes we don't have anything to say about it like with the EPA and the Department of Energy and all that good stuff so but with that said I like to establish one thing in advance it's it's not really just about CO2 isn't just about going green, okay? Um, you know, Gary, and I'm sure most of your listeners know, uh, you know, a compression ratio for air conditioner might be, I'm just going to throw some numbers out there, might be three to one, medium might be five to one, low temperature on HFCs might be 10 to one, somewhere thereabouts, not sketched in stone. Well, a 10 to one on HFCs, so the farther those numbers get apart, we all know the harder that compressor is working, the harder the compressor is working, the hotter the compressor is working. The hotter the compressor is running, the less efficient it is. So, on low temperature CO two, the compression ratio is two to one. Now, wrap your head around that for just a second. The transfer of heat, like propane, is incredible. It's very very efficient refrigerant. I mean, if you look at the CO two uh, piston, have Trevor show you sometime on a on a large. Uh, co2 compressor the piston size is you know it's only about an inch and a half across on a semi-hermetic i mean it's they're very very small uh it doesn't need a lot of energy to move that comp- that, that that thing and when we talk about it in a liquid sense um if you use it like glycol it's much more efficient than glycol um, it's it's you know like if you're using pumps to move that glycol around when you use co two as a liquid you're using about a tenth of the horsepower you would in glycol and the other thing is about a lot of people don't know with c o two as a liquid is uh in, in a secondary system when we're using it as like glycol um, we're we're talking about where where glycol cannot do latent heat, just sensible heat a CO2 can change state and be latent heat also. So that's another big uh, gainer in that. And, and at the end of the day, of course, when we, if we release it, like Trevor and I often do with our CO2 trainer, we train together. Um, I do it in the States and he does it up in Canada, but because he's shorthanded, I go up there and work with him on that. Um, We blow the charge. We let the students at the end of the day. So if something should happen, God forbid, And not that anybody's going to get hurt, but if for some reason we trap gas or whatever we do in a system, we, you know, the worst scenario is that, you know, the pressure relief goes off and the, and the CO2 goes out. The, the, the bad scenario on that is that where the negative part of it is on that isn't so much the danger of it. It's, happen to have, like if you're talking about a large store, having to have that CO2 on hand to recharge that whole system up. So that's why we don't want to, we, you know, that's the, that's the reason we don't want to blow that charge, obviously. Okay. So that was a little bit about, you know, the whys of why we're using it. The, the global warm potential on CO2 is one. Um, I don't want to get into a big, you know, chemical thing here, but all refrigerants are based off of CO2 uh, it, it, because it's in the air. Like, 004 percent of you know CO two in the air. So they base all refrigerants off CO two. So the starting point for all refrigerants is the number one. So it's a ratio with all other refrigerants. So four hundred four A, for example, is the global warming potential is thirty nine hundred. What does that even mean to me? I'm just a contractor. I'm a service technician. You know, I mean, my oldest son is a licensed journeyman. I mean, he doesn't spend time. What does global warming potential even mean to him? Well, what it means in very simple terms is it's a ratio. So one pound of 404A is the equivalent of 3,900 pounds of CO2. So it does the same amount of damage. Really, at the end of the day, what it really is saying on the global side of things is it's a matter of something staying in the atmosphere 11 days compared to something breaking up in 11 years or 21 years or 31 Uh years. That's really what it's about, and it gets into molecules and and some real complex stuff. That sometimes I get geeky and start reading off, and I mm-hmm. I go into rabbit holes where I shouldn't be. But I understand it, but I don't. We don't. I don't talk about it that in depth. But on the CO two side, it's you know when when in the states here when we talk about the EPA, what's coming down the pipes in 2023. If you know what's happening here, and not every not a lot of contractors are even wholesalers. And when I teach it. Colleges and vocational schools, they're looking at me like, why aren't we hearing about any of this? And I'm thinking, I don't know, because 2023, if you don't know, it's happening. You know, everything's going to start changing pretty, pretty heavy. Okay. Carrier announced a year ago, and I usually don't drop names like that, but they announced a year ago, you know, they're going to go to 454B, the replacement for 410A. Um, you know, and that caught everybody off guard because a lot of people were thinking R32 was going to be the refrigerant of choice. So, and then since then, a lot of people have went on on board with that. Well, they said they're going to go for all their residential and light commercial. They said that's going to happen in 2023. Well, the people that did know that they even announced that didn't even understand why they announced it for 2023 it's because all these epa laws come into effect in 2023 why am i talking about that because along with that the larger the system i.e grocery stores supermarkets the less global warming potential it has so the more refrigerants in there the less global warming potential makes sense right The smaller the unit, they're going to allow for more, the worst, the worst toxic refrigerant, if you will, the worst global warming potential, but it has to be in smaller units. Okay. But so, so propane, uh, like it or not, if we keep these, you know, systems the way they are right now with these 300, 400 foot line sets, you know, in these supermarkets and all these refrigerant lines running out, running around, is, is you're not going to have a lot of choices. It's, you know, CO2. That's why a lot of people are packing into these classes we're given and other people are giving, uh, you know, we sell out these classes all the time uh, because of it. They all they are aware that if they want to do this work in the States or in Canada or wherever, they're going to have to get on board. And right now, unfortunately, I don't want to say it's like the Wild West, but there's not a lot of training going out there Uh, right now. Unfortunately, and I don't mean this in a bad way, what I'm seeing out there is a lot of people are getting these contracts and doing these stores and they haven't had a lot of training yet. Now, nobody's getting hurt, um, but I'm just saying they're starving for that kind of training right now. That's why I like to gravitate towards that training because it's something not everyone's talking about. I really took a liking to it. And really, now that I've worked on the trainer quite a few times, we've done that. And, and I, you know, d- done a lot of training with Andre Pattenon and, and, uh, the, the different ones around the nation and, and Elaine up in Canada and Trevor also, um, it's just fascinates me and I, and I really understand it really well. So back to the, the pressures part of it. So let's establish this. When we're talking about the low temperature side of the system, let's say we're dealing with a rack, we have a medium and low side. When we're talking about the low side of the rack on the transcritical system, and transcritical systems mean, it just means we know it's going to get over in transcritical, which is going to be high pressures. But on the low side of that rack, we're talking about pressures that are no different than 410A. On air conditioning. And we, we, we think those are high, but we're talking about 400, you know, 450 pounds or whatever. Okay. It's not until we get into that transcritical side, let's say on the medium temperature rack. And basically, what to give you a visual on that—that that low temperature rack. If you don't know, and I'm just I'm talking as if you don't know, the people out there don't understand this. And the 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 low temperature rack never sees outside ambient. And we talk about a critical point. We're talking about a temperature of 87.8. So until it gets above 87.8 degrees, which is easily done in a lot of the st- you know states that are in the U.S., but until it gets above that, it's pressures just like 410A and air conditioning when it gets above that CO2 gets a little freaky it's hyperactive it 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 loses its pressure temperature relationship okay it's no longer the, the P, you got to throw the PT charts out after it gets a, at the top of that that dome okay that that pressure temperature curve okay once it gets out of that two phase area it's neither a liquid or a vapor it's a supercritical fluid is what they call it okay that's where it gets a little crazy and starts to, for people, hard to understand. Okay. But on the low side, you're using, we're going to go back to that, what we described at the beginning of a brace plate heat exchanger. Okay. On the low side, we're removing that heat on the low temperature side, on the CO2 side, through a brace plate heat exchanger. So that medium temperature rack is removing that heat. So, in other words, the low temperature rack never sees outside ambient. So therefore, it's always going to be its going to be like a normal refrigerant would be, okay? It's always going to be in that 410A AC pressure type, okay? On the medium side, sometimes it's going to be in subcritical depending on ambient air outside, and sometimes it's going to be in transcritical and sometimes it's going to be in subcritical depending on that ambient. Now, one might say, well, Don, it's useless than in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, You'd be surprised if you use our software, our PSS software, which Trevor's really good at, at, uh, does a lot of tutorial on that. I've seen some of his work on that on videos, but you can put th- that in that software there and calculate the run hours of how many hours of the year, you know, and I'm talking about nighttime fall and winter in Southern States where we're at Brazil is getting a lot of CO2 systems, you'd be surprised how many hours you're actually running below 87.8 degrees. And then if you add things like adiabatic coolers, you know, where you're running water outside the condenser outside the unit and the air's traveling through that cool water, you know, when, when it gets above 87, 8 degrees, that adiabatic cooler is almost like a, a residential humidifier, like a swamp cooler, if you will the air is traveling through that water, dropping at about 15 degrees. So it might be 95 outside or, or let's say 90 degrees, but it's seeing 75 degrees, the condenser is. So it's it's still running as efficient as it normally, is, as long as we can keep it down below there. And there's all different kinds of techniques that are making, that are moving that equator line if you will closer and closer and closer where what used to not be the norm or not be feasible to run you know like southern part of the u.s or southern you know south america is now becoming more and more common with with subcoolers, ejectors and all kinds of different things so uh, but yeah when you're talking about the transcritical side getting back to those pressures i kind of got off that topic we're talking you know 1700 pounds and it's you know it's uh but we're not seeing that until we leave those medium temperature, that medium temperature compressors, those semi hometrics and getting into that condenser, okay? Now, we're still rejecting heat in that condenser. The condenser now, and this is where it can be a little confusing, I, but, it's, the, but it, it, it's not if you start to understand it, that condenser, now that we're not, we can't condense anymore above 87.8. So now we refer to the condenser as a gas cooler we're still rejecting heat. We're just not condensing. Okay. So it, it, it's there, it, it's a little tricky and sometimes it, it's a little difficult to explain a lot of the details over a podcast, but um, I've got a lot of good stuff out there and other people do too, um, you know, to explain a couple different components that have to come into play to make it all come together. But you'll, you're going to see this more and more and more. I feel comfortable in saying that. And again, I don't, Copeland, Emerson doesn't really have a dog in the fight. Other, our competitors don't have the dog in the fight. It's just, it's really good refrigerant. And uh, and it and it doesn't, you know, uh, like it or not, you know, the EPA and different things like that, that's the direction the globe is going. You know, Europe's, Europe's 15, 16 years ahead of us. You know, Canada was five years ahead of the States, not all that long ago. And now if you look at transcritical systems, Trevor will tell you this, we've about doubled uh, what Canada has now in a, in five years, um, because everybody can see what's coming down the pipeline. Uh, it's, you know, you, you're not going to get around it. So you might as well start educating yourself on it.
1: Wow. So, I mean, when you throw out words like super critical fluid and throw out the PT chart above 87 <laughs> degrees, yeah. I mean, th- those are, those are crazy things. Uh, I, I did want to ask you like the, when you're talking about supermarkets, And rack systems, like, we need to, if we're using CO2, do we need to retrofit the entire rack? Like, we can't just take out whatever we're using and then just throw in CO2 into what's existing, right? We need to retrofit for the refrigerant,
0: do we not? Yes. Yeah, it's it's so... it's basically or, is it, or about, is it, it, when I say it, retrofit, do it. Is, it can we just change the really, parts? We got to rip everything out. Yeah, put everything really, new back in. Yeah, you really can't utilize. Honestly, Gary, you can't utilize any much of anything on on an existing system. For example, Aldi's in the states on all their new stores, they're doing all CO two. Now, I was told because I see so many contractors technicians in a year's time um you know depending on where i'm at i'll ask you know who's working with co2 if we're talking about co2 and people will raise their hand if they're affiliated with all these you know and different stores that are spearheading in the states for example um they'll tell you on all the new stores at co2 most of your walmart's uh in the states but on the, on, if they're doing a renovation in an old Aldi's like a 20 year Aldi's and they're going to be down for some time, they are then changing over there, but it's a complete change out. They're ripping everything out. Um, you can't use because, you know, like for example, you know, you know, as well as I do on the, on the, uh, on the transcritical side, once it leaves that, Higher discharge pressures, we got to have, you know, stainless steel. We've got to have what they call XHP copper. You know, it's a thicker walled copper by Mueller. Uh, that's just one brand name. Uh, you know, we're talking about pressure relief valves throughout the whole system, and th- those got to be sized and, and set for uh, whatever the weakest component is on that. So you're going to see pressure relief valves all over the place throughout the systems. And then you're going to have a, a, a flash tank. Uh, you know, think of it as a, as a, as a, as a, um, uh, a receiver on uh, with thicker walled, almost like on steroids and and the purpose of that is we have to cool that refrigerant coming down we're also going to have like a metering device uh, like a high pressure valve when you leave the condenser or the the gas cooler we're going to we're going to leave that and everything on the system is going to be uh, modulating you know you're going to VFDs you know everything's going to be because again CO2 is so hyperactive it responds so quick you have to have everything modulating everything's electronic so um you know nothing nothing mechanical as we know it so it's it's a it's basically start from square one so that and that's one of the that's one of the knocks or one of the the few knocks um and i have multiple slides that i say okay here's the pros and here's the cons one of the biggest knocks is yeah but after 87.8 degrees it's not very efficient you have to dump that gas that's true Um, that's true. Um, and, and then the other, one of the other knocks is the expense at the very beginning. And the third, last but not least is the education education, these, you know, finding technicians that can work on this stuff, but we're hopefully closing the gap on that. And we'll keep getting better and better as an industry on that. And, uh, I'm sure I know right now I'm sitting on a, a board in the States along with Andre Patnaw and people from Hill, Hill Phoenix. There's about 25, 30 of us on a team uh, that would get together every three weeks now. It just got started up. It's, it's being driven by the ESCO group, uh, HVAC Educators, and it's uh, to set up some, uh, some uh, um, oh, what am I trying to say, the uh, curriculum for the vocational schools and the colleges in the states of CO2. They've asked a bunch of us that are f- uh, familiar with CO2, um, uh, Rusty and different ones from all around different companies coming together as a group, working together to put to gr- together some good curriculum to start teaching it in our schools.
1: Well, my mind is blown. I'll tell you that much. It's it's blown. You you blew the top off my head. That little emoji on that the the brains popping out of the off the top of the head. (laughs) So like if, if you guys are providing any sort of training or have any info, like where can, where can people go get this stuff?
0: So you can go to, um, so you can go to, I I like again, I'm the guy with the easy button, but if you go through and you, um, I can, I can send now if you've got a place for them to get links, Gary, I can send you some links, but you can go to Emerson CO2 uh, uh, Transcritical and start putting things in like that in the Google. We have a very nice pamphlet out there. And again, I can leave you with any links to give to the listeners and what have you. Um, You can go to uh, the EmersonEducation.com website where we have our instructor led courses, our online uh, learning. Uh, you can see a bunch of uh taped archived uh CO2 training. Uh, you can go to uh my YouTube channel. Uh, and uh, I have a, a, a Facebook uh, page that I've just thrown together just because I needed a place to dump some uh some videos that I started making, but uh, I have a uh, four hour course, I believe of CO2, it might be eight hours that I did for, uh, another person that does a podcast that asked, uh, me to come down there and do a, a day's training for them. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff out there for CO2 and, uh, and, and there's a lot of our competitors out there with CO2, but there's a particular pamphlet that I really like to recommend and I can send it to you, Um, and, and I have it out there, like I said, on my, our, on our fun facts, Facebook page. And I also have it on my LinkedIn page and, uh, we, uh, Emerson education, .education emerson.education.com. Uh, you can go there and you can find, uh, the pamphlet also there. And I believe Trevor has put that in several different places. If he didn't bring it up with you, uh, where he's got it tucked away too, but I can get it to you, but Um, there's a lot of good information out there. It's not hard to find. If you just put in CO2 Emerson, uh, you'll see all kinds of stuff pop up, but, uh, and if anybody needs anything and, uh, Gary, if you want to reach out to you, Gary, um, you can, you can get with me and I can send you anything that anybody would like to have interest. And I, and I get those like you do emails all the time because it is a area where a lot of people like yourself, that really like to, like to learn, you know, those special technicians, if you will, I don't know if I could fall in that category, but those special technicians that really like to absorb a lot of the good stuff, um, and, and, and that I get those people all the time that really like, man, I want to learn more about this because they can see the writing on the wall. You know, it's going to be like anything else. If you don't, if you're not in the forefront of it, you know, you're, you're, you're going to miss out because it's going to, it's, it's coming whether you want it to or not. Yeah, that that is
1: just basically what I preach to, to people is anytime I post anything new, that's that's here, like, Oh, well, why would you? Why would we do it? Like, guys, this is just what is true. This is what's happening. And if you don't get on top of it, one day, you could be left in the dust. So rather than criticize something that's new, that's happening within the industry, just keep an open mind and
0: learn about it. Because one day that might be you in that position. Amen. I, uh, I'm a big fan of new. I, 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 I uh, was blessed with not being afraid of change, and I uh, even at 57, I'm the guy that does the apps uh, demos here in the states. Before I got here, that they were kind of punching the screen with the PowerPoint going. If you hit this button, well, Tr- Trevor's got one too, and. Now, but I bought a little gizmo to hook up my phone and I actually have the students follow along with our apps, Copeland Mobile, and do those demos like Trevor's done on video and what have you. But I it brings more power to it. Again, again, getting back to that change, it's embrace it. Embrace the change because the quicker you accept it, you know, don't just go with the flow. Um, it, you know, the bad things will shake out. If if it's not a good idea, it'll shake out. But if a major manufacturer is tooling up for it. And b- building compressors for it, you can bet that it's coming. I agree with you. All right, well, Don, I
1: got to thank you very much for for that because this was um, eye opening. I, I, I really enjoyed the the compressor overheat and liquid injection conversation because that that I'm that I'm in the know about <laughs> CO2 is it, is it was something new
0: for me, and and I really enjoyed listening to you talk about it. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you inviting me on. I really mean that. I, uh, I, uh, I enjoyed it immensely. It flew by quick. Yeah. We're, we're going to, we're going to, I think we should sit down and
1: come up with some more topics that you and I can discuss. Cause I, likewise, I really enjoyed, uh, talking
0: to you as well. So thank you very much, my man. Yeah. I appreciate it so much, Gary. I appreciate what you do too. Thanks for all you do out there for the industry. Uh, I really uh, I like what you do and uh, I don't think I I praise people enough sometimes out there guys like you and other people that are doing those things that uh, are helping us all get better so good for kudos to you my friend
1: super kind words Don thank you very very much I really appreciate that and let me return the favor within five minutes of talking to you I knew you were a passionate educator I really I really knew that right away just because of the, the way you talk and the way you carry yourself and, and I think that this industry needs more passionate educators and mentors out there and, and people that we can lean on and grab information from and, and know it's the right information and know we're be, being led down the correct path so thank you very much for being who you are and really caring about pushing this information to guys and girls that might be unaware. So if you guys want to learn more about CO2 or compressor overheat or liquid injection, there's a ton of information out there, guys. You just got to take it upon yourselves to to go out there and learn it. Okay, sometimes you need to do this on your own time as we discussed with Trevor and Matt on the last podcast. You want to be a master at your own craft, you got to take the time to do it. One thing I'm going to mention, guys, when I was talking about that minus 40 degrees C freezer I was working on minus 40 degrees C and minus 40 degree F they line up on the scale at the exact same spot so minus 40 degrees C is minus 40 degrees F and and when I I, I was listening back to the podcast and I'm like when I said that it sounded like I was just reiterating that it was only in degrees Celsius but it's it also lines up with minus 40 degrees F. I just wanted to throw that out there. I've mentioned this a ton of times before, but if you didn't know, that's some useful information you can take forward, um, impress people at parties, maybe a girl you're dating. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just kidding. Anyway, guys, I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.